0: Hi everyone and welcome to the brand new series of My Inspiration, a podcast series from HMV in which we give musicians, actors, filmmakers and producers the chance to take a welcome break from talking about themselves and instead talk about their greatest inspiration. I'm your host Tom Goodwin and I'm delighted to welcome you to the start of our fourth season of this podcast. Also, with me is our producer James Forian, though for obvious reasons we're going to be working remotely for this new series. We begin our new runner podcast with Will Gould, frontman of Gothpunk's Creeper. Now, normally it takes a band three or four albums and a solid dose of boredom before they decide to pursue a concept album, but Creeper are already onto their second one. But for a while, it looked like this was an album that was never destined to come out, with Gould stating at the climax of the tour in support of their debut album Eternity in Your Arms, the band was done. He told fans from the stage at London's Coco in November of 2018 that not only is this the last show of this album, it's also the last show we'll ever do. Luckily for everyone, that's proved not to be the case, and the band returned earlier this year with new album Sex, Death and the Infinite Void. We chatted to Will about the album's grand concept, how his stunt very nearly turned into reality, and his inspiration.
1: Hello, how's it going, dude? Yeah, I'm alright, thanks, man. How are you? Yeah, man, I'm fine. Um, just, just trying to get on with it. Like I said, I'm in the middle of an album campaign, the the, the center of the apocalypse. So it's <laughs> it's yeah. a very strange time for me. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm pressing on. And the thing is, I like I like to try and think of it like uh, other other people have it a lot worse than me. Um, and so uh, I, I'm just trying to get on, and do my thing, and try and talk about my record a bunch. But. Uh, not too bad you know i think there was there are things we can become accustomed to you know um, over this period of time and you kind of i think it's kind of the human way it's going to grow and adapt towards it Do you know what i mean like yeah yeah we're just kind of staying is the new normal now for a lot of us even though we can actually go out now which is weird. i'm not sure how safe it is but we can <laughs> so, yeah. so that's good
0: how has your lockdown been i mean you've got a record to plug so i guess you've been busy as you might be
1: well, it's, yes, it's a lot of, a lot of press and a, and a real lack of haircuts, that's the, you know, um, that's, that's the problem, you know, it's, uh, the one good thing about this is that I'm not being photographed a lot, enough to, the haircuts be a real problem yet, you know, so it's very floppy on top and uh, my girlfriend's been trimming the sides, but it looks, it just looks so gross because it, like, it's not been thinned in ages. I don't know. Why I'm talking about my hair so much, but it, it has been really bothering me. Yeah. That's one of the things that's been really bothering me throughout this period. Just want to look smart and nice. Um, but yeah, it's—it's it's, it's a, it's a lot of uh, interviews for me. I'm doing a lot of a lot of press every day and I run up to this record. It's been a long time coming. This this second album, um, and it's an odd time to be to be releasing something. So uh, I don't know. In a weird way, it's kind—it of, kind of feels kind of apt in a way for this record. It's this record's been. Um, kind of rooted in, a, in, in kind of chaos from its very beginning in terms of the way it was uh, uh, devised and all of the things that happened while we were making it. It was a really like kind of difficult time to begin with. So it would kind of make sense that um, we're putting it out in the midst of uh, one of the most significant global situations of, of my lifetime. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Sure.
0: Um, if I can take you kind of right back to that last show when obviously you, play, you played the montage of fans and it was, you know, very much up in the air whether that was the end was it ever actually going to be the end or was it part of a plan where you thought, you know what, people need anticipation, people need something to, you know, people need a void to, you know, to really pique interest. I mean, was there a grand plan or really did you think at the end of the tour, I don't want to do this anymore?
1: Um, I was, we were very burnt out at that point in in, in our career. Um, it had uh, it had been a long five years kind of on the road. Um, and I always knew we were going to end that album campaign in that way. I always knew that we would, uh, That was that was the plan. There's a grand plan to these things, like kind of the offset. Um, So that was always the way I wanted to 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 end that 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 campaign. Um, But uh, at the time, I I imagine we would come back with with what we're doing now, whatever that was going to be at the time, Um, a little sooner than we did. But unfortunately, there was so many things that were happening in our personal lives and um, like uh, lots of mental health um, situations. That did lately me to believe that maybe actually the the, the stunt had kind of um, manifested itself into real life. Maybe we really were going to break up. Um, at the, there were definitely some points like that um, where we we just didn't know. Um, because I don't know, these things are weird, aren't they? It's it's uh, we, we do we do so many of these, of these stunts at the very beginning, like like them, and that's all part of a, a theatricality. But uh, this time around, the kind of the, the reality and the fiction managed to kind of merge together quite significantly. Um, and um, a lot, like my my songwriting partner was hospitalised, and um, and yeah, like like it was a very challenging situation. So yeah, there were certainly points where I didn't think uh, we there, there was an, uh, definitely a possibility that we might not come back at all, um, which is which is horrible, really. Um, but like, uh, it kind of all fell into place in the, in the latter stages. We managed to work it all out by the time we got to November first, a year on when
0: did you kind of start coming up with songs that, you know, would make this record? I mean, was it written slowly or was it all written in a burst? I mean, when did all the songs finally first start coming together?
1: Well, we've been working on, like, we're always kind of working on something, you know, um, but like, uh, I've been working on songs for quite some time. Uh, we, we kind of ebbed and flowed in, in terms of what we were doing. We were trying to find a new sound. And the idea was that we would, uh, we would take, take the time to try and work out a new direction and, 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 and turn what from take us from what our band was into something completely new but to do that we had to learn oh, like completely new ways of writing songs and learn new how to write different drummers and music Uh, and so we tried a lot of stuff was like trial and error to try and find it and at places at times we'd hit like a a, a few good days where we'd bash like two out in a row that we're really pleased with but some days you'd write and write and write and um, weeks would go by and you, all, all the songs you 'd write you 'd been I think we wrote more songs for this record than we 've written for the, or any of our career before it. It was um like, must have been about fifty songs we wrote for this this one and um, just axed them and they weren 't right and they were chopping and changing them and so until, until we ended up with what we have um, so yeah it, it really did ebb and flow it, it wasn 't um, really like a, a sustained period of um, like, man, creative burst or we just bashed, bashed the whole thing out in. It was done over time. It was kind of like an arduous process. Um, and I think the reason is, it's because it's such a varied record. It's so, it's so different to, to what we've done before. We had, to, we had to learn a lot of things, and we were trying to challenge ourselves and, and to, to not make the same thing again, you know?
0: From what I understand, it isn't quite... The last one had a very kind of tight concept, and this one less so. I mean, was that, was that just how things worked out, or was that what you wanted to do?
1: No, this one has a very, very tight concept okay. in exactly the same sort of way. Um, it's uh, it's uh, it's centered around a small, a small American town. Um, we 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 went tour in America, and we went to a place called um, Dunsmere, California on a tour. We were out with water parks and um, that band, water parks and. Uh, on this amazing tour where we like uh we we had borrowed all this gear. We were like we would we, uh, touring around in this in this you know what a party bus is. You ever seen a party bus, I have party a bus yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like we had no money on this tour and um so we're trying to do everything for on a budget. So our friend from Texas had um who was tour managing us, he said, Oh my brother's got a party bus, we can just tour in that and, and you know inside this party bus, because it was from Texas, it was uh, just full of weapons. Like, he had loads of weapons. And, you know, as an English person, it's really strange to see weapons in general. There was, like, a, a nightstick and a crossbow and, and, and like, a machete. On this bus, it was crazy. We had the Bleds <laughs> guitar cabs. and we were you're, sat there thinking, uh, you're sat
0: there thinking, I'm Hunter S. Thompson. What the hell's going on?
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was, it was, uh, I meant there was one really funny time on that, tour, actually, when we got pulled over um, by the police. And we, we were in a state where we weren't allowed the weapons. And, um... The, uh, the the nightstick was in the driver's <laughs> side door, and the, the the policeman come up to the door um, to ask for his license and registration of our driver. The guy who was driving us, and um, he gave it to him. And then the, 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 the policeman said, "Oh, I'd have to look around um, the van," and at the par- I, I saw them underneath the, the policeman's eyes passing back all these weapons for <laughs> to stack it away, <laughs> so he wouldn't find it. Anyway, I'm really veering off of um, of my topic here. Uh, anyway, one night and that's all. We woke up uh, in a place. It's the sort of place that you wouldn't. Um, you wouldn't wake up if uh, you wouldn't visit if you weren't if you were a tourist it's it's kind of too far out it's in the middle of nowhere it's in northern California it's uh, called Dunsmere and um, beautiful like, like like massive mountains around it um, like a an absolutely in, in incredible place a really small town built around a train track and there was a local store it reminded me very much of like Twin Peaks or something like that you know, um, it was like a, that sort of thing. You, you, you just don't really get over here. It's all kind of larger than life. And, you see it and it's just ridiculous. Uh, very, like something you wouldn't even imagine. Something you'd see in a film. And um, I've been working on for ages, uh, where we would go next to my last record. And our last record was uh, about Southampton, where we were from and where we were born. And um, it kind of told the story of, of, of where we came from. And in the time that passed since then, that record allowed us to tour America a lot. So we spent so much time over there. Um, More time touring America than we did touring the UK. Um, So I felt like this next record needed to tell where we've been since. So I was looking for a location to base a concept around in America. Wanted to make an American record. And that's why this record has so much Americana on it, um, specifically for that reason. Um, But yes, the small American town called Dunsmere, I was like, well what would be the most outrageous thing that could happen in a place like Dunsmere, California? And then, um, the cogs started going in my brain. I was reading a book at the time called K-Pax, which has been made into this um, awful Kevin Spacey film. And, uh, it was, um, it was about a man who like the, 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 classic man who fell to earth archetype, a man, um, who's to be from another world. And in, and in this book, they, they lock him into a psychiatric, psychiatric unit in a hospital. And, um, that's to, uh, to to see if, is, it kind of a, is he, isn't he sort of situation and he's uh, providing evidence that, to, to support his case. And then the doctors, the whole book's like that. It's a trilogy of books. And so I was like, imagine if something like that happened in a place like Dunsmere in California. Whoa, like imagine the upheaval. This is a, a place where when you walk into the local shop, they all know each other by name. And uh, I was like, so I started imagining this world. Um, and eventually, what I landed on after you know uh, months and months and months of writing was uh, um, a um a, a kind of an apocalyptic romantic story about um, about a, a, a boy who was found in a mine in a in a in our own version of of Dunsmere we call it calvary Falls and um he's he's found in a mine and uh, he claims to be from another world and he's arrived with a prophecy that in seven days the world as the, the townspeople know it will end. There are seven families in this town. Each one of them represents one of the seven deadly sins. Um, there is uh, a, a girl he meets on his first night, this, this boy who, who they, don't, they don't believe all this stuff that he's saying. It's, it's very similar to, the, to, to K-Pax in that way. Um, and uh, he, he basically ends up falling in love with uh, with the fiancé of the son of the richest family in town. And um, there's this kind of doomed apocalyptic romantic story in it they call it kind of like climaxes on the seventh day when the world as they know it's supposed to end as they uh he's basically shot by the the jealous lover on the last day and it it makes the townspeople repent their sins which in turn doesn't end the world in in, in a way like with a fire from the sky or a, you know the the, the horseman of the apocalypse but it kind of it's a a redemption story that their world as they know it is, is um is it is ended for, for, for good and, and then it, it, that's kind of the, the arc of the story and it's still like a who was this boy was it uh was he pull a shit what, like, all, all yeah. that, like alongside it so yeah that's that's the story we're telling with this and um it references a lot of things that were happening in real life at the time for us too um as all of these things do they tend to be like um a, a combination of uh of, of things you're reading things uh, media ingesting and, and kind of uh, mixing together your real life very complicated concept this one i just realized every time i try and say it in one go i, I seem to do a really bad job of explaining it, it good. <laughs> so, sorry about that no it
0: sounds fantastic i mean um so obviously forget it right with with that kind of you know that kind of grand concept and americana um you got different producer this time the first record you had neil who'd, who'd worked with you really throughout your early career and this time you've got um Xander barry who isn't a name people will know
1: Yes. Well, this, this is the thing. It was, we, because we were making this American record, they sent us out to uh, to meet, I wanted to make it in Hollywood. Um, and because I felt like that was the most ridiculous, most over the top thing, you know, like what a caricature of a rock band you are when you make a record in Hollywood. And that's kind of funny for me and Ian, who'd grown up in punk rock and, and we just thought it was funny. And um, also, it was amazing, like like down the road uh, from where we recorded our record, they shot Blade Runner, you know? Um, this is like all the, all the stuff we grew up on and loving. Um, and so, yeah, we went around and met a load of different producers. Um, they were all really, really lovely and really, um, really nice people to meet. But unfortunately, I just found that we were at risk of uh, making the same record again or making a very sanitized version of what we'd already done. Um, and it was very frustrating and um, not, 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 because, not because they're bad people. These people are very talented and, and you know, they're much more successful than me. Um, it just didn't really work for what I, I was imagining for this, what, this one. I wanted to push the sound out. I wanted to be, to be bold of it and make something that was, like, challenging, you know, and um, not this safe. I think sometimes a lot of my problem with, with, with doing music sometimes is that when you lose that conviction on stage, that's when bands suck. Bands always, like, are the worst when you, when you don't believe what they're saying. You can see it a million miles off. This is why, like, when you see, uh, you, like, you go to a local show, you see, like, one, like, 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 a young punk band, like, starting out. They they really mean it. Like, they're aggressive and it's angry and and it's visceral and you can feel it in the pit of your stomach. And then when you go see the, the a reunion for 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 a punk band from ten years ago, you can tell it's just a cash in, you know, like that that that's that same sort of feeling. Um. So I wanted to make a record that felt like it reflected where I was in my life, you know, um. I wanted to make something that was challenging. I wanted to make something that made sense to me, that I was excited about, not just to, to, because I had to make another Creeper record. I would rather not do it if I, that was the case, you know? So on the last day of um, meeting people, we met Zandi Barry, um, who, would, like, he, like you'd know a lot of songs he'd worked on, um, but they wouldn't be from the world, you'd, you'd imagine. He's uh, been songs for uh, Britney Spears and made records for Miley Cyrus and... Um, the dude from the, the Backstreet Boys and stuff like that, like, and also he, he was a, he was a, uh, scored a lot of films and did a lot of film soundtracks. And really incredible arranger of strings and, and and instruments like that. When I met him, he just got my concept uh, straight away. Me and Ian went in and just Ian on the uh, like it was the last day we were supposed to be there, and Ian me and Ian just fell in love with him. He was like so ambitious. Didn't even know our band. Didn't care about what we'd done before. Didn't matter to him. He didn't want to put us in, in a box in the genre. He just wanted to work with us in our songs, and um, we showed him what we've been doing, what we've been writing, and he got it straight away. We started talking about Phil Spector and um, and Bruce Springsteen and Roy Orbison and all these uh, these things that I associate very like with, with um, uh, the stereotype of what you imagine um, an American record would sound like in my head, and uh, and I started talking about applying like. British music through that lens, um, like, like Britpop and 70s glam rock and, and, and all those sorts of things. Um, and he loved that. He was really, really excited and he really he got it. And what I love about this record is you can hear that at times when we're doing Britpop songs, we've got the the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra in the background playing along with it, which is so funny because it's the, the the combination of, of like us being... Like from Hampshire, and and uh, Zandy being like a New Yorker who now lives in Los Angeles, and, and with, uh, with with all these friends that that that, that played music out there, and you know, is is I, I, one of the guys who helped arrange some strings for us in this record is a man called uh, Tim Williams who did the uh, Deadpool and, and Watchmen and a lot of the, uh, the film soundtracks for those, uh, and so the ability to and the opportunity to work with those people and collaborate on like making things grander and more extreme um just amazing it was such a great experience man it was so cool for a little for a little punk band from Southampton and little ratty ratty punk kids like me and ian it's just so cool it was such, a, such an amazing experience so i'm very lucky uh, to have to be in this point in my life right now it's very cool
0: well we've got you here in part to talk about your inspiration so um do you want to tell us who you chosen and kind of how you arrived at this would be the one you talked about?
1: Well, it was, it was a no brainer for me. Um, this one, um, I've chosen uh, AFI and I feel like, uh, I've, I've kind of chosen this band because it was one of the first bands that like, I like, you know, I chose this band. This is the band I found. It wasn't given to me from somebody else. I loved Marilyn Manson when I was a kid and stuff like that. Um, but it, uh, it was given to me by my cousin, you know, like there were records that were passed down to me. This is a band I sought out and found and it became, they became like my band, like to me, you know. And um, it's, it, they've been an influence in almost everything I've done over the years. Uh, even still now, it's, 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 a, it's very, very, uh, very, very interesting to see the way that like that, that still has an effect on me and those records, I still think stand up so well. So um, yeah, I, I couldn't choose another band really. This is, this, is, um, this is my band, you know, and it has been for a long, long time.
0: How, how did you discover AFI? I mean, did you see a video? Did you hear a track? Where did you first kind of come across them?
1: So I think um, where I first heard them, I was listening to The Offspring quite a lot at the time in school. And um, I remember seeing the video for Days of the Phoenix um, on, uh, on maybe MTV2 or something like that. And I was like, this sounds like The Offspring, but it looks like a glam rock band. Like I like love this. Like this is all my favorite things. This is crazy. And then um, I got Black Suns in the Sunset from a uh, from a record store, and um, a little record store called Reflex Records. And um, I remember just listening to it, and it, being, it was like a hardcore record. And I'd never really heard like much hardcore before this point as well. Like, and um, the 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 um, Days of the Phoenix is on the, the record that came out after, and the, the, the Art of Drowning. Um, but uh so i was expecting like kind of like i i guess something more like that but this is faster and a little heavier and they were building into that sound a little bit more i suppose at this point um and i loved it i was just like this is crazy this is like the fastest thing i've ever heard i couldn't believe that there are only four people in this band it was absolutely mad to me that like four people can make something that sounds so three-dimensional and uh and, 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 and kind of engulfed me so much. You often hear about these big records uh, needing a lot of production and things uh, to make them sound massive. You hear about the greatest rock records of all time, like think about Guns N' Roses and stuff like that, those over the top rock records, Iron Maiden, it's like there's always a lot of elements to those things. Iron Maiden have three guitarists, you know? This is one guitar player being incredibly creative with a limited palette or a limited toolbox of what's, what you could use and making something really, really amazing. Like Davey, Davey havock had built his body around touring. He was uh, like, like obsessed. They were obsessed with this; this is their life. And I found that kind of dedication um, to their craft just absolutely compelling. It, I, I found it like it would, it, that would be one of the things that would always last me. Sitting on the bus and having this band sitting there with my headphones in and just zoning out and just just, just falling into these different worlds with them. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I first found them. It was, it was through the offspring um i wasn't lucky enough to go and see them with the offspring at um, the time but my guitar player did um, and that's how he found them a lot of us found uh afi through the offspring i think um looking back but, but like uh, ian always tells of the show um where no one knew this band that's that came on for the offspring but everybody was talking about them afterwards there's this amazing energy and this amazing performance they havoc in like like head- to toe PVC, you know, like and playing this kind of hardcore punk like kind of fast you know Bay Area punk stuff uh and this it, but but like goffed up to the max, like in terms of like how it looked and how it was presented. Um, I just thought that was amazing, it was something to me that i I'd, uh, I'd never really seen before I'd, I was into a lot of that culture, the like golf culture, and it's just like industrial metal and stuff. But like this was like fusing a lot of those things, and on the record after they would start using electronic elements. You know, um, it was yeah, re- really, really, really uh, appealed to to so much of, of what I was into at the time. It's like the perfect band for me to find.
0: Yeah, I mean, in that regard, they're a very interesting band because you know, the scene they're from and the bands they toured with and all that. You know, it's California, it's laid back, it's skate punk, it's shorts and t-shirt, shoes if you can be bothered, type thing, and you know, sort of writing songs about getting drunk or stoned. And outcome AFI, who are this four-piece, who wear makeup, wear leather, take their look very seriously and write, you know, it's so kind of incongruous against, you know, the scene they must have been part of, but they were, they had, they, it's not like they were shy about it. They came back and they came out and, you know, they were like, this is us. And lots of people bought into it, didn't they?
1: Well, this is the thing. It's, um, it, it, it took a while for AFI to go that way because they started off, off like kind of like um, a more traditional hardcore band, I suppose, and like answered that and stay fashionable, um they're very proud of you and all these um themselves uh, around you know around that sort of time kind of all hallows ep and, and black stars in the sunset oh probably shake shut, shut your mouth and open your eyes when they really started going down the makeup route and uh yeah like i, I feel like to do that in this those, those hardcore scenes must have really struck a chord with some people i remember seeing an interview with davy havoc when younger and him saying um there was uh after one of their shows a guy came up to to him at the merch table and he was like oh, in a vest in a backwards cap and he thought oh god this is um uh, this guy is gonna he's, he's gonna be horrible or something and he came to the front and he had an eyeliner on and he was like oh i love your band and it was like the fact that it appealed to these kids it, it was something different and um it was again kind of uh updating like an old uh like like the the, the stuff from um that from, from the misfits and and the. Uh, and, and taking those sounds and taking them somewhere else, you know, cause at the same time you had the, the nerve agents and bands like that, that were also kind of um, adopting a similar th- uh, aesthetic and, and Tiger Army, um, who were we were lucky enough to tour with in, in America and became friends of ours. Just really cool, um, really, really cool scene at that time. Lots going on and lots of people kind of embracing a similar aesthetic, but with different sounds. And I just loved that stuff. I think that spoke to people kind of dressing how you want and, and, and being yourself and um, kind of uh, gender, and ambiguity you know like it was like uh something that was i was completely going through myself at the time and it's it was still the fast punk that i needed but it had this extra element to it that was that was artier and and kind of more feminine and um it was just all the things i was when i was a kid it was like the perfect band for me you know
0: yeah and lyrically it must have been very different as well because you know he's a writer who's who likes grandeur and who likes elegance and, and you know that's from the stuff it sounds like you were listening to, would have been quite a departure.
1: He's an he's an incredible uh, poet, like really, like that's that's what David Havoc is. He's he's an amazing poet. He had a vocabulary um, on those records, and how articulate he was um, made you want to like like, especially compared to what punk was for me at that time, which was silly lyrics and kind of or like or angry lyrics, but like not not particularly um, not particularly uh, graceful. Um, I was like, this is mad. Some of those those lyrics and those songs are so beautiful. Um, and he was using words that I had to look up, you know? That's just a, like one amazing thing for a punk band to do to somebody, eh? So cool.
0: So um, when did you first get to see them live?
1: Oh, uh, I, I got to see a secret show when I was a kid. Um, I was very, very lucky at the Electric Ballroom. Um, it was uh, right in between. I didn't, like, the problem was when I was younger, um, I didn't live in London. So, like, AFI never really played... Uh, in Southampton or like the, the, the down south, like here. And um, I think when... Uh, like I was never allowed to go to London when I was younger. I don't know why. I think it's some, probably something to do with my parents divorcing and my mum being very protective of us when we were kids. But when I, I got to see them for the first time was uh, just after Sing a Sorrow um, at the Electric Ballroom. And um, I had such a high expectation for what it was gonna be like. Obviously, I'd, I think at the time, it was like, when I was young, i I download videos and Napster and stuff. because It wasn't YouTube back then, was it, you know? Remember doing that? That's yeah. so funny, isn't it? Now <laughs> and, uh, take all I day. download video. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, on the dial-up internet connection <laughs> that your mum keeps getting on the phone for. Like it was cutting out. Um, yeah, it was. Um, uh, it was really funny. Like like watching videos. I'd seen I'd seen photos of them playing, but it yeah, it wasn't like um, like it, it, like it, it was like my, the bar was set so high in my head for what it was going to be like. It seemed like it was going to be impossible for them to reach it. And I just remember them kicking into Girls Not Grey as the second song and that set. And just the whole of them exploded, and it was going crazy um and it just felt like a, a unity about that audience. there was like a, a real magic in the air, and they were just amazing. It was like one of my my favorite shows I've ever seen. It was such an amazing experience to see him in that venue too. What a great venue the electric ballroom is eh yeah and um and oh God, it was amazing that he did the god walk at the end to to go and sit today when he um was on walking on people's heads and stuff at the end. And it just felt like something really happened. Like you just seen something. It was like more than just a show. It was something really transformative. And I'll never forget that. That's gonna. That that's the sort of thing. Imagine being able to to to, to play so many shows that they, they did that had that effect on so many people that he had on me. That's happened to loads of different kids over the years. You got into this band. They transformed so many lives with these these incredible live shows for a four piece band. I just think that's mad when I think about that. They're a four piece band. And they uh, have created this like um, like 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 an environment and an atmosphere like no other. And yeah, absolutely amazing! What an incredible show! So good.
0: I mean, at that time, I mean, obviously that was the time when they they just signed to a major label and they were really on a push. But up until that point, you know, it was really a cult band. They, you know, they weren't household names in any sense. So everyone who, but everybody who liked them, really really liked them.
1: Well, yeah. Well, the, the the major label breakthrough was the singer sorrow. Um, but like it wasn't really till December Underground when they went properly mainstream, you know, with Miss Murder and, and and those things. Um, so I do agree. I think they're like it. Well, it was it was strange when you when as the band got bigger and you go to their shows just as time went on, and you'd see uh, the the newer kids getting involved as well, the younger kids, and then you had all these punks. It was this real mixed crowd, and I always really liked that. I thought that was a really really cool thing. I think um, sometimes like. People from like these scenes can be a bit snobby about um, younger kids getting involved and younger fans, but I've always felt like it's an amazing thing. I think that's where everything starts. So I always, I always really welcome that. I always thought it was really cool. But like I know what you mean. Those early shows, when they're everyone's secret, that's when it's like a a crazy feeling. When they're when they're that they're your band. You know, they exist in your headphones and nowhere else. You know, you're not going to see them everywhere. And then you and you go to a, a room full of people where everyone feels exactly the same way like it's their band just absolutely electric man it's so so good
0: yeah some people never get over that do they and i guess that's the well you've you've talked about you know going out with baby metal and wanting to push yourselves out and you know leave that kind of thing behind but for some fans it's just like that's the perfect moment and anything after that really spoils it
1: yeah i and, and i understand that i think um i think I think you've got to like like when you when you're making stuff it depends what you're doing with your career really isn't it? um I think that like AFI managed to always uh, keep it very artistic and um to be uh, I mean it made really good calls with, with what they were doing with their career um I think some bands I think there's there's a tendency sometimes in in punk rock and uh, especially like kind of the poppier side of pop punk and stuff to like to 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 not want to do anything too far out because you don't want to lose the career you've already got. You just want to make a revised version of what you've done each time. AFI never did that. AFI always take bold risks and, and every record's so different. on like And I that's something that we I've definitely let's, leaves a, a lasting imprint on me is uh, that every record's so different. And that uh, that meant that you have to be an AFI fan. It was never an easy job, you know, because yeah. you have to say you've got a whole new thing each time around. And I think that's what we ask of our fans as well but I'd much rather have that, like that's what's. I think that's why I am the way I am with that stuff a, a lot, a lot of times I think about, and um, well it's David Bowie as well, obviously making very challenging records throughout his career, um, and shape-shifting, hey if I did that exact same thing, and yeah, we, we we try to do that a little bit of that ourselves, because I don't know, I'm just not interested in a career of making the same thing forever, that just seems so dull to me, um, I just, I'm into lots of different stuff, and um, as I'm sure you are as well, and Imagine how boring it would be to make the same movie over and over again, you know. Like, uh, so I've always loved that about AFI—just um, the ability to 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 transform and and and, uh, and create something completely different each time out. Uh, and that, that, yeah, always been something I've um, I've looked up to from them.
0: We always ask guests kind of what they think the you know the undiscovered gem is in the catalogue, you know, the bit that most fans skip over. So if there was a top ten AFI songs, you know, or, to, or rank the records, it'd be lower down. But something you really love, I mean. What would you kind of go for in that regard
1: have you ever heard this 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 song called uh reaver's music you ever heard that song i think so um, i wouldn't be
0: able it, to place it but i'm I've, you know i know i know the catalog pretty well
1: so um the way i got into that song um that i used to go to uh to camden with um, my then girlfriend and we used to go through the camden, camden market was like a proper mosher place do you, yeah. do you remember like it was like proper it's, it's, it kind of still a little bit like that but it's like it used to be like a proper. Oh yeah, proper, it was proper, it was goth, it
0: was Goth Mecca for a while. Bless yeah, a while. it was
1: amazing. It was so cool. Um there used to be these CD shops that would sell knockoff records from bands. Um and you know what I'm talking about, you know, those places. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, I remember getting like um uh an AFI like they said sell these AFI compilations that had artwork on the front of them that was that AFI would definitely not have been boomed off. <laughs> <laughs> but they said that the logo on them and so I mean, at the time, we were just kids, you know. And so you just thought, like, wow, these are AFI records. I've never heard these before. And they were just compilations. There were cuts in the past and this, like, kind of their B sides and things. And Reaver's music was on there. And um, it became like, my favorite AFI song. Um, and a lot of people don't even know it exists because it's not on, on any of the major releases. I think it's actually on them. Um, it may be the B side to um, Now the World, um, which which came out um, before Sing the Sorrow, and we would make it onto Sing the Sorrow um but like it's this amazing song and i love it so much because it's really unusual that like the the the, the, the verse is really a kind of stops and starts and stops and starts and i think it's arguably the best chorus uh of the band's career like uh and the chorus the the the, the 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 lyric is uh because we all are in dying days and davey does a counter melody and then it's just really really expertly done um what they managed to do around that time period is absolutely perfect the art of uh of oh, that, that style of punk rock. Like, it would take all of the other elements out of it, his lyrics and, and, the, and the darkness of it. Jade, Jade Pidgeot's guitar playing, like, on, on, across that time period, I just don't know anyone he did better. He, he was like an artist. He, he took punk rock to, a, to its highest art form, in my opinion. He, like, he carved his own, he's like an artur. Like, like, that's how I, I see him. And, and you can tell a song when he's written it because you can see, hear all those trademarks. Um, and uh, yeah, this song's no different. There's like, it, it really, really, really creative. So it's bridge and Davey does this thing in the, in the bridge I, I I always think you know like I spend so much of my life writing songs and uh, I'm really lucky I get to do that for a living now and, and I'm very privileged for that but like when I hear Davey Havoc's me- like melodies and things on stuff I still think how did you come up with that like from you must have got I know how like the bread and butter of how this stuff works you probably got sent like um, an idea or you sat with a guitar with Jade and or something but he comes up with something so hooky and catchy and not what I would do ever, because, you know, that's, you know, like not, I don't think not what many of would do frequently um, across his career. He's a, such, a, such a talented uh, top line writer and like, like on top of this, uh, 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 on top of really interesting punk rock. And there's that amazing bridge. Um, with only echoes showing that I'm here, you know, for all the rapes for all these years, just amazing, amazing stuff. And then there's like a to and fro with him and Jade and then, Somehow they pop back into that chorus afterwards that's always the, the trick to get out of one of those ridiculous uh bridges back into a chorus if you can pull that off then. and it's just amazing what, what a wonderful song it's um i think it's just so dramatic and uh it's all the things I like about a f i uh kind of all at once um it's extremely creative extremely well executed beautiful lyrics and wonderful musicianship it's uh, uh and it's still kind of it sits in that kind of the just enough in the punk wheelhouse to be to be called a punk song still just before they started doing some amazing, really interesting work, a little bit outside, a bit further afield. Yeah.
0: Now, um, from my research, it looks like you, you've you on stage covered sacrifice theory, but I don't think you've ever recorded anything um, in terms of covers. Would you feel like you were messing with perfection?
1: I I, li- I like doing cover songs. It's fun. We did like a, a a Neil Young cover the other day. It's coming out at the end of the week. Maybe tomorrow, actually, it's coming out. I forget when it comes out. I like doing that stuff. I feel anxious about um, covering something like AFI because it's just so close to me, and I love it so much. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's it, it's just it's it, it's you know a big part of my life, and I wouldn't want to do a disservice to it. I wouldn't. It's been really fun. Play. We played that cover when we first started. The reason we covered Sacrifice Theory was because our band, we went from playing in a band that toured the, this, this country for seven years, and five people showed up every time, to um, so suddenly like doing this band and having an audience in front of us That and so we were like, oh, you should tour? But we don't have any songs. We only have five songs, and everyone wants to see these songs, but we can't fill a out with it. So we did an AFI cover, um, Sacrifice Theory, and obviously word got around that we were doing this cover, and we did the Warp Tour. Um, everyone was like, you should do your AFI cover. Everyone's got fond memories of seeing AFI do Sacrifice Theory on the and play play these songs play the art of drowning on on the warpsaw, you should do you should do it so we started we busted it out on warpsaw a couple of times um and it was it was that was really fun to do i really really enjoyed it but i can't sing those notes that that young davey havoc can sing he's a he's a ridiculous singer back then he's such a great singer and i wouldn't want to i don't know maybe if i it had to be the right circumstance for us to want to record that um we did a Michael mccormance cover once for something and i was always really dissatisfied with how we'd done on it um and uh, it bugged me for ages. Um, but like it was right in the middle of an album and we were making the first album when we did it and I just didn't have time to fix it. And so yeah, that, now that exists in the world and you're like, oh God, this is awful. You know, if anyone heard this and judged me on this, um, I'd I'd be mortified. Um, so um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like, I, I would, it would be difficult for me to want to do AFI because that's that's my favorite band, man. Like, you know, I don't want to mess with that.
0: Also, in the punishing heat of what presumably was a lot of warp tours in Southern America, like you could have picked a slower track to sort of pace things down rather than that, which is a brutal two minute romp.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, you're, you're talking to a man who painted his neck purple every single day. <laughs> <also>. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm not a very sensible human being. Um, yeah. Like I remember on that tour, like, uh, we would get ready in, in our bandwagon and walk, by the time I'd walked to our stage to start playing, all my makeup was, was running down my face before I even began. It was, uh, we, was, we made some silly decisions across that entire tour, <laughs> <laughs> Um Yeah, so, so uh, it, it was not a, it was it was not a, a very um, sanitary tour bus on that one. It was very smelly and gross.
0: <laughs> yeah, everyone who I talk to who's been to Warp Tour as a fan always has, always describes it like they've just come back from the desert and that it was a punishment. But it must be a lot of fun.
1: Well, I think we have varying experiences across our band of what we thought of the Warp Tour. Um, I, um, I was imagining it to be the way I saw, uh, when I was a kid in, in skate DVDs and it wasn't really like that. There was a lot more music that I didn't really care for on it, which just doesn't matter. Um, but just bad, kind of bad role models. I felt like I were around, um, and I, I didn't really like that, but Kevin Lyman, however, I thought was a wonderful human being and I really have a lot of time for him. Um, but I did get to hang out with sick of it all and that was really cool. And, uh, they get to watch TSOL play and uh and I got to hang out with worn women every day. I loved to hanging out with them. And my friend um Michael from the band Old Wounds from New Jersey, he was on the tour, and so we just hang out and, and smoke cigs every day. And just having a, I, I had I, I had a nice time. Um but yeah, those elements of it of it that I found um I found it like I was fine for the first month, and then the second month hits in, you're like, what am I doing? This is madness. Um it's like being it's like slam that weekend, which is so fun, but every day for three months <laughs> so, so it got like to a point of, of, of kind of, meh, of craziness um, and uh i went a bit stir crazy by the end of it. but an amazing experience and i'm, I'm really grateful to have been able to give, be given that opportunity you know
0: well afi were a warped tour feature for a while and um although they stood out among that crowd there was a lot of love as well
1: yeah like and that's one of the things i think um it is uh, for me that I, I associate AFI with the band sports tour quite a lot because I used to watch all those videos when I was a kid and just think how fucking amazing it was. Just would love to be there, jump on people's heads and sing along and stuff, you know. Um, but like that's what I was like when I was a, a young kid, just watching those videos from that. Na- I downloaded some Napster all the time. Um, probably AFI some money from all these videos I've been stealing <laughs> for years. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, it's um, like, just, just, I really, really did, did associate with them with that. And I felt like, they were like a touring machine. That band, AFI, they like just didn't stop touring. Um, and uh, and I always, yeah, I, I look up to that quite a lot. That there's that kind of work ethic and uh, and how no matter what bill they played on, they were always really really good. And they they, they converted people regardless. They would never gave a subpar show. They never like dragged his heels. He was always on it every single day. Like a he's like a a goth touring machine, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so i mean like having having got into them around the you know black cells and the sunset after drowning sort era have you kept up with the rest of the catalog or have you kind of ever wavered and gone off bits and pieces or is it kind of you've really enjoyed everything they've got to offer
1: no man this is my band i love this band i i, I buy everything they do um i i pay attention i absolutely love it uh there's nothing that's really thrown me for this band uh obviously like like the, like the majority of us who are afi fans like Miss murder is not my favorite song um but uh and went, when when I asked for AFI in a nightclub and they put that on, I always get upset. Um, but like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's only because I've heard it all so much. Um, and uh, you know, it it's uh, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't sound like the rest of their catalog, um, but it, that's kind of what's amazing about that band too. Like they always did the unexpected. They always kind of kept kept uh, me on my toes. And uh, and yeah, like like I remember when December Underground came out, um, I was really unsure about it first as but i'm like that with every record they do that's that's what happens and i think people people give me the same response that i had originally to those records with my albums now you know it's funny um they kind of don't know how to take it at first but it's an amazing incredible album and there's a reason it did so well um like the interview is one of my favorite afi songs and um that's on December underground and um so yeah i never really wavered i've always like there's some little nerds just love it mate just absolutely love (laughs) it it's just a great band they They've never really put anything else so apart for me. I also think that like people overlook um p- records that people even like regard as their best are still better than everyone else's like th- like I think Crash Love is one of the most underrated things they've done as well. Crash Love is when they kind of did this gold and kind of dramatic Hollywood record themselves. They were doing this ridiculous this uh, ridiculous thing um uh, with that album that was massive rock songs I did not get the support it needed um and there's some incredible songs in there. I can't think of a time where A5, Under always pushing boundaries, pushing the envelope and, and, and being innovative and changing things. And I love that. I think that's, um, that's much more exciting to me than a band who writes 15 records of the same thing. And um, it's, you know, that, that, this is, it's cool for, for a couple. I'm, I'm down for a few, but like, you've got to mix it up, I think.
0: Obviously, the other thing they've had to contend with, with a career like theirs, which is now pushing 30 years, is you know growing you know growing older in a punk scene punk is quite an unforgiving genre if you get old you know i'm sure if you asked mark Hoppus in 1998 he probably didn't think he'd be singing all the small things continually now but that's that's kind of what happens if you've got a back catalogue but they're a band who probably would weather it better than most because they weren't tied to any time or any place or you know really a a kind of a a mindset in their lives
1: yeah i mean I remember like playing um, the Underworlds with Agnostic Front um, in in my old band. And uh, there was a roadie at the side of the stage who after every song, he would swap out Roger's mic for another one and take the mic to the side of the stage and just flick out all the spit and stuff from the (laughs) mic uh, at the side of the stage. And I was just thinking, this is just kind of what happens when you get older. I don't know. Um, But like, I think there is definitely an element to say that it like a, it gets different when you grow up but the Bouncing Souls like still put on like I think it was one of the best punk rock shows you can, you can possibly go and see. Saw them in Asbury Park once, very lucky that we, we had got to open for them once uh, at one of their festivals that loads of bands were on. So we played really quickly and then just got, got drunk and watched the Bouncing Souls, watched the Flatliners and and watched all these amazing bands. Um, so like yeah I still, I still think there's definitely a place for those older bands but when you're doing a band like AFI, you know, I suppose you can't do exactly what they were doing at, when they were 27, when they're in their 40s. I, I guess, you, like, you can't... To look the same way, it would... It would it, you know, you, that wouldn't make any sense, I suppose. And I understand that. But I think what they've managed to do um, very gracefully is... Uh, is evolve their, their the appearance, the look of the band. I think Davey Havoc is, like, still... Still looks absolutely incredible. Have you seen a picture of that man lately? It's absolutely bonkers. He's like, uh, he's just aged so amazingly, and um, he, he he doesn't look like he did when he was a kid. But uh, he, he like, he looks like in the, uh, like the, the, the greatest rock singer you can ever think of. You know, um, that ability to to adapt and evolve, I think, has really been one of their their the things. Like, Davey's a great chameleon, much in the same way like we um, Madonna or or Bowie or someone like that is like this kind of adapting and and. Um, and changing things out um very very cool
0: and even i remember even reading about them 20 years ago they were quite ahead of a time and talking about you know what they ate and how they would how they would train and you know really build like you said building themselves to you know for really punishing lifestyles which is something i think a musicians have really only caught up with in the last five six years about how you know actually looking after yourself will even if it does, you don't feel good tomorrow will have an effect in 10 years time
1: I know and I, I wish I could say i 'm better at that i 'm much more of a, a chaotic human being than I should probably should be um, uh, but like like definitely like in, in terms of, of animal rights and being outspoken about veganism um, that 's something I really really respect and it 's it 's one of the one of the ways I, I started learning about that myself when I was younger um, but i 've been vegan now who how many years uh, eight years now or something i 've been vegetarian since I was a kid when I got into, into punk rock and things um, and I think I think using your platform to, to promote those things is, is is really really important i think it's uh it was amazing to have a band like that you know a band as well that like it was i think one of the main things about it as well is aside from all the, those sorts of politics they had all different types of people from all different um sexualities and it didn't it just didn't matter when you saw that band you know there was no like the kind of jockey kind of macho aspect of a lot of that scene wasn't didn't exist at an AFI show. Um, it was uh, something where a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, regardless of, of uh, your sexuality or your gender, um, it just didn't matter.
0: If someone had never heard of AFI before and they wanted a record to start with, where would you take them to?
1: It's very difficult because I think I'd have to profile the person asking me that question. Um, but uh, I suppose, like, uh, I think singer Sorrow is probably... Um, probably the record that most should start with. Um, it is, it is the first major label release. that so came out in DreamWorks and um, it's the first time they had any, any kind of budget. And you think like AFI were making all those amazing records for those, that many years, they just maybe out of drowning with basically no, no budget. Um, so what could they do when they had like all this money? Um, and it turned out they could do loads of that because they've been making things with nothing for years um, that they made something absolutely outrageous. It's an outrageous record like if you listen to that record recently it's like it still has holds up like so much it's still such an interesting record there's like you probably lump it as post hardcore i guess um because it evolved the sound to a place where they were trying things and ideas and 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 grandiose um uh the the intro the the, the afi a- a- are famous for those intros um, and that's the most epic of them all it sounds like Terminator 2 but you put that record on you know like it's a it's a crazy uh, a crazy thing and it's the combination of Jerry Finn and Butch Big making that record um at, at the time and what a, what a dream team what a powerhouse just really complemented all the things they were doing um the songwriting on it is outrageous the musicianship like some of Hunter Bergen's uh, bass playing on that record is just insane like, Just there's the creativity like I can't think of a band at that time who was doing anything as, as creative as that record when it came out and um, there's something for everyone on there too. You know, it's it doesn't it, it doesn't fit into a time or a place. It's just kind of it's just Sinisorrow, you know. And that's a good a good sign because a lot of the records that come out, I think, in the last over the last few years, um, you can definitely see that if they're from this place or this time. Or it, they've got a timestamp on them. This when you get lucky, when you strike it lucky like that, like and and you put something together as as intricate and uh, as nuanced as um, as Sinisorrow that record stands on its own it's like a timeless thing imagine you know making something like that it's crazy and that's not that's not even like my favorite of their records (laughs) you know like it's just a piece of brilliance in my opinion a piece of like real world magic that stuff is
0: well will from creeper thank you very much for letting us hear your inspiration and all about sex death and the infinite void um and best of luck for the record and whenever we see you on the road hopefully in 2021 thank you very much
1: Thanks, thanks for taking time out of your day to speak to me, man. I appreciate it.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's edition of My Inspiration. If you'd like to check out our previous episodes, which include chats with LaRue, Pet Shop Boys, Luke Evans, May Martin, Big Nasty, and many more, you can listen to them all on our website, which is hmv.com forward slash podcast, or on all your regular podcast providers. Next week we'll be joined by Amy McDonald who will be telling us all about her love of Travis as well as her new album The Human Demands.